do you want to prevent worldwide diseases, promote human health, and break down healthcare inequalities? Well, check in with me, Jamie Kirkpatrick, and explore global health topics that affect you. With the help of our sponsor, Acura Incorporated, the leader in patient-first radiotherapy systems that make cancer treatments shorter, safer, personalized, and more effective, we'll check in around the world so you can be more informed and learn to affect change globally and for yourself. What would you say if I told you that the diseases that are responsible for most of the deaths of children under the age of five are readily preventable and treatable? Not only that, but avoidable with already proven and cost-effective measures. Yet, sadly, in 2016, 7,000 newborns died every day around the world. According to the annual United Nations report from 2017, whose sole purpose is to report on levels and trends in child mortality, Every year, millions of children under 5 years of age die, mostly from preventable causes such as pneumonia, diarrhea, and malaria. In almost half of the cases, malnutrition plays a role, while unsafe water, sanitation, and hygiene are also significant contributing factors. In this episode of Global Health, Checklists for a Healthy Life and World, I'll present some of the factors that contribute to the high infant and child mortality rates in Africa while also providing resources so you can make an impact right from your living room. First, we'll dive into the data, such as what is the state of child mortality globally? Did you know that Sub-Saharan Africa remains the region with the highest under 5 mortality rate in the world? Not quite sure where Sub-Saharan Africa is? Don't worry, we'll get to that. Next, we'll discuss how inequities in child mortality rates globally remain large, yet are largely solvable. And there is some good news. While we have made substantial progress in reducing deaths of children under the age of five, the flip side of that coin is that it still persists that children from poorer regions continue to be disproportionately susceptible. Forgive me for a small detour before diving into the facts. I want to share a quote with you that touched me to the core. William Wordsworth, a famous English romantic poet, wrote in 1798, A simple child that lightly draws its breath, and feels its life in every limb, what should it know of death? This is exactly why it's up to us, the grown-ups in the room, to provide a solution that gives every child, in every country, the same opportunity to grow up to be a healthy, happy member of our global community. Okay, let's start with some basic facts to set the framework. According to the World Bank, the under-5 mortality rate in the United States is currently 6.5 deaths per 1,000 live births. Interestingly, this is higher than the 4 deaths per 1,000 live births in the United Kingdom and Austria, and the 3 deaths per 1,000 in Sweden and Japan. I found this staggering. What is responsible for this surprising statistic, and why doesn't the United States have the best ability to prevent child mortality? Lindsay Stark, an associate professor of population and family health at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health, said in an article for CNN in January, The main reason the U.S. is lagging behind other nations is because of perinatal mortality, including maternal conditions affecting a fetus or newborn, and injuries, mostly due to firearms. Stark went on to say, There are areas where the U.S. could be preventing childhood deaths, and we are failing to do so, due to gaps in public policy, a weak social safety net, and persisting social disparities that affect families, mothers, and children's health unequally. 
The future of any country is its children. So at a fundamental level, we can see a country's investment in its future and the way children are surviving and thriving. Let me repeat that. The future of any country is its children. Back to the facts on infant mortality rates in our framework. When we spin the globe and head over to regions in sub-Saharan Africa, the number of infant mortality deaths per 1,000 live births dramatically increases to 80 in Cameroon, 127 in Chad, 104 in Nigeria, and 133 in Somalia. Overall, Sub-Saharan Africa has the highest mortality rates, with 1 in 11 children dying before reaching the age of 5. Not quite sure where Sub-Saharan Africa is? Imagine the whole continent of Africa and locate the Sahara Desert. All the countries lying below the Sahara Desert are part of this region. Now, there has been a lot of controversy on the use of the term Sub-Saharan, as some say it is historically loaded and inaccurate. While I do acknowledge these arguments, I'm solely using the term for the purpose of being able to create a picture in your mind, so you understand exactly where I am talking about. Child mortality rates have been on the radar of the United Nations for decades. In 2000, the UN established the reduction of child mortality as one of the eight Millennium Development Goals, hoping to better monitor and positively impact mortality rates. By 2015, global child health dramatically improved, but child mortality is still extremely prevalent in Africa. Because of this, the United Nations included good health and well-being when instituting the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, for 2016 through 2030. Referring back to the United Nations 2017 report on child mortality trends, the SDG target for child mortality represents a renewed commitment to the world's children. By 2030, end preventable deaths of newborns and children under 5 years of age with all countries aiming to reduce neonatal mortality to at least as low as 12 deaths per 1,000 live births, and under 5 mortality to at least as low as 25 deaths per 1,000 live births. With the international community agreeing to this new framework, we can shift our focus to the most pressing question here. Why are infant mortality rates so high in Africa compared to other countries? While compounding research on this topic myself into a literature review, the trends that have emerged suggest the key determinants of infant and child mortality rates in Africa can be boiled down to three areas. First, the influence of a mother's education on the health and well-being of their child. Second, the impact of the HIV and AIDS epidemic prominent in this region of the world. And third, the distinction between residing in rural versus urban areas. Let's start with mom and her influence on her child's life and well-being. Researchers have found that indicators of mortality are associated with not only a woman's education, but also her political and economic position and independence. This makes sense, considering children are directly connected to and constantly interact with their mothers. One example of the connection between a mother's education and child mortality includes a study conducted by Marshall and Clifton McKate in 2016, which focuses on Malawi. Malawi is located in Southeast Africa and is bordered by Mozambique, Tanzania, and Zambia. In 1994, the Malawi government overhauled their education system and removed all fees required to attend primary school. What effect did this have? Nothing short of monumental. This change dramatically increased student enrollment by 1 million in the year 2000 alone. 
1 million educated moms. Greg Mortensen, author of Three Cups of Tea, agrees. If you really want to change a culture to empower women, improve basic hygiene and health care, and fight high rates of infant mortality, the answer is to educate girls. So, did all this have an impact? Researchers looked at how improved access to education in Malawi had the potential to maximize the number of educated mothers, and in turn, how it may affect the child mortality rate. The study found that infant and child mortality decreased by more than 3% and 6% respectively, with one extra year of primary school. They discovered that educated women can process and understand health-related information, including communication with health providers, better than their lowly educated counterparts. With many other studies corroborating these findings, it seems that improving the educational status of women in Africa could greatly improve a child's health outcome. On to the second major cause of child mortality in Africa, HIV and AIDS. For those that don't know, once human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, is acquired, the virus attacks immune cells of the body. While it is mostly known as a sexually transmitted disease, it can also be passed during childbirth from mother to child and through blood transmission. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS, refers to the set of symptoms that occur during later stages of an HIV infection, so they don't necessarily appear in every infected person. Back to Africa. HIV and AIDS are the leading cause of death in the sub-Saharan region, and it remains a threat to children simply because HIV-infected mothers transfer it to their offspring. In 2014, Collins O. Opio and Monica Sani investigated the prevalence of this disease in Kenya, which experienced a 26% increase in the under-5 mortality rate from 1990 to 2003. They discovered that the high prevalence of HIV and AIDS had the strongest effect on child mortality compared to other indicators such as access to health services, social amenities, and child nutrition and care. Overall, mortality rates would have continued to decrease without the uprising of HIV. Are you starting to see the power of information like me? Let's review some more facts. Researcher Marie-Louise Newell determined mortality rates for HIV-infected children to be 35.2% at 1-year-old and 52.5% at 2-years-old, which is 9 times higher than that of uninfected children. It is clear that HIV-infected mothers negatively affect the outcome of their child, either by transmitting the disease or being unable to provide satisfactory care to their newborns. Moving on to the third risk factor of child mortality. Where does the mother live and how does this impact child mortality rates? The research available on the inequality that exists between mothers in urban areas and mothers in rural areas of Africa is quite dense, so I'll provide a brief overview. In 2009, Ellen Van de Poel and colleagues conducted a study to understand how various household and community elements affect differences in child mortality between rural and urban areas. Analyzing six countries in Sub-Saharan Africa, they found that water, electricity, finished flooring, and maternal education contributed the most to child survival, all of which are more readily accessible in urban regions. Not surprisingly, the study proposed that policies need to operate not only through investments in community infrastructure and health programs, but also by targeting the material needs of disadvantaged households within rural communities. 
See what I mean when I said at the beginning of this podcast that the solutions are preventable? Phew, information overload, I know. The reason I gave you all these statistics is to provide you with the evidence and proof that child mortality in Africa can be reduced if conditions are improved. Africa may be far away, but there are many organizations close by that aim to serve this region so they can live in communities where child survival is not a question. The first that comes to mind is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Their mantra is clear and simple. All lives have equal value. We are impatient optimists working to reduce inequity. I couldn't agree more. How about you? Mull that over as I touch on their work in Africa, specifically with family planning and HIV. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's main goal for family planning is to bring access to high-quality contraceptive information, services, and supplies to an additional 120 million women and girls without coercion or discrimination. Additionally, enabling women to make informed decisions reduces unintended pregnancies, increases educational and economic opportunities for women, and leads to healthier families and communities. As it relates to the HIV and AIDS epidemic, the Foundation has committed more than $3 billion in HIV grants to organizations and more than $1.6 billion to the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria in hopes of accelerating the decline of this infection worldwide. These are just two examples of the incredible work the Gates Foundation does all over the world. They believe the best resource in the fight against poverty, disease, and educational inequity are the individuals who take action in their own communities. That's your cue, everyone listening in. Get involved. Join their Foundation Cares program to connect with Foundation employees and partners, or be a part of the Global Citizen Initiative, which aims to recruit people to learn about pressing global issues. Stand up and decide you can make a difference. If you want to start small, visit www.red.org, which takes you to the RED campaign. Why the RED campaign? Well, RED harnesses the power of people and companies to fight AIDS. They partner with the world's most iconic brands that contribute profits from the sale of RED-branded products and experiences to the Global Fund. They believe there is an end to AIDS. And it's you. To support this, you may choose to make a donation or follow at RED on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay involved and become more informed. And keep your eyes and ears open for any red products from companies such as Apple, Swell, Beats, and many more. Find the path that feels right for you. As I wrap up, Winston Churchill once said, Healthy citizens are the greatest asset any country can have. By providing you with this knowledge today, I hope to have sparked a fire in you to work toward ending health disparities. I'm not saying you have to find the cure for reducing child mortality in Africa but I do encourage you to learn more, educate others, and get involved. Small steps can lead our world to big changes. Until next time, this has been Jamie Kirkpatrick with Global Health, Checklist for a Healthy Life and World.